Hey guys, my name is Josh and welcome back to the Church Hurts Podcast. Um, Hopefully all of you guys are doing okay. Um, I know that COVID-19 is still very much a thing. Um, So if you are uh, sheltered in place like uh, a lot of us are, um, I feel you. Um, (laughs) This week, uh, our guest is Katie Ruth. Katie Ruth uh, and I met on Twitter and um, she came on to have a great conversation about what it looks like when you are in an oppressive church that um, maybe uh, can be a little bit controlling, what it looks like when you find your way out of that and into uh, other places and you start hearing new ideas and new thoughts and when you really feel like God is moving you in that direction and then your church um, can't really deal with that. And so it's a really good conversation. Uh, I hope that you will, will stick around and listen to it. Um, Katie did a great job and she had a lot of really good things to share, especially about what it looks like to leave, um, churches that are unhealthy, um, to the point of maybe even churches that are, um, holding people back, um, oppressing them, whatever words you want to use along, along those lines. Um, anyway, so I'm going to let her tell it, tell it and, uh, let's get into the church hurts podcast. everybody. My name is Josh and welcome back to the Church Hurts podcast. Uh, today, this week, my guest is Katie Ruth. Katie, say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. And um, Katie and I met on Twitter uh, where a lot of of people that have been on the show have gotten in contact with me. I figured that would be kind of where that would happen. We have like, I don't know, we have mutual follows, some mutual friends, I think, is uh, is how I kind of came across you. I don't exactly remember the play by play, but here we are. Yep. Here we are. <laughs> um, so I just want to say thank you for, for coming out and, and hanging out today. And, um, let's just go ahead and, and, and do this thing. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell us how you got involved in church growing up and, uh, kind of walk us towards, you know, the story you want to share today. Sure. Um, so I, from the time that I was little, like I was born into a family of believers, of Christians. Um, my parents became Christians a little bit before I came along. Um, but, and we grew up in church. Um, I grew up in church um, and up to about the time that I was about eight, we were just kind of like moving between different churches, um, kind of like some non-denominational, um, just different Um, my parents, I guess, were trying to figure out where they fit the best. Um, but when I was about eight years old or nine, um, the homeschool, we were, we were part of a homeschool co-op and we met a a family through the co-op that had an independent Baptist church and my parents decided to go and check it out. And so we went, um, we checked it out and my parents loved it. And so that started my, I guess, almost... 20 year stint in the independent Baptist church. So, yeah. All right. Um, so there's gonna be a lot of people that are listening that have no idea what that is. Um, that don't know, um, you know, don't have any, any connection. Uh, when you say independent Baptist, I mean, you're, we're not talking Southern, Southern Baptist here, right? No, we're not. So, um, they're independent, sometimes they're known as independent fundamental Baptist or IFB. I'll probably use that moniker a lot, IFB. So from here on out. Sure. Um, but it's like they're independent churches. They hold to a lot of like the Baptist distinctives. So mm-hmm. in theology on paper, they might look quite similar to a Southern Baptist church. Um, but mm-hmm. they're kind of like a more fundamentalist branch. Like if you think very conservative, independent churches, um, they they are functioning independently, but they're also part of a connection. Like they're all connected to one another, um, mm-hmm. but not for like church polity or church decisions, but more just as like a community, if that kind of makes oh. sense. Yeah, it, it does. Um, so, so just to break down a little bit, when you, when you say um, fundamentalist um, and, and conservative, what, so like, what is the, what's the general vibe? Like, 
Um, so point case in point, scripture. Uh, where if someone's getting up and they're preaching from a from a, a Bible, what are they using? So some of the big distinctives in like the Independent Baptist Church would be um, King James Bible only. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really big one. Um, there they sing only hymns. Like there's no rock music. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone in the church is going to be wearing skirts, no pants. Um, you're only going to have male preachers. Um, they believe in like a very um, complementarian family structure. So like the um, husband is the head of the home, husband is the head of the wife kind of thing. Um, all of all of those kind of things would be very much independent Baptist distinctives. And yeah. also um, there would be dispen- like dispensational theology is also really big. So like they would hold to like a pre-tribulational position and they're really big on that. Okay. Cool. That I, I just asked to kind of put that in some perspective of, of kind of the, the church environment, um, just for people that maybe don't know. Um, yeah. IFB, because my my connection to IFB is now you and um, a Twitter account called IFB Preacher Clips, um, which we oh, yeah. spoke about <laughs> before, uh, and I'm sure we'll speak about uh, through this through this process because there's some points I want to I want to talk about in here. But um, talking about you. So you get in, you get in, um, remind me, how old are you again? I know you just said it. Um, I, I was about, I think I was about eight at the time when we finally started attending that independent Baptist church. Okay. And you were there for like 20 years, um, or in that that church movement for 20 years. In that same movement, I spent time in at least three, no, four different churches. Um, the all, all very quite different um, articulations, still very independent Baptist, but very different experiences. Each one of them was. Gotcha. And, and so. that probably, is that probably connected to the fact that, you know, they're, you know, they're independent, right? They're, there's there's, there's yes. little differences and idiosyncrasies between them. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. Like sometimes people think IFB and they think like, like you see on IFB preacher clips, but it's not always like that. Um, mm-hmm. Like the content is always fairly similar, but um, it can look quite different in different contexts, especially because I'm originally from Australia. And mm-hmm. so our churches function a little bit differently there, obviously, because it's a different country as well, as well. So that definitely comes into play as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So why don't you just tell me, um, you know, because that's a little bit about the, the the church as a whole, but what was it like? So what was your experience growing up, growing up in a, in a, in a church like that or in a church culture like that? Um, I think that my experience was um, kind of unique. So not everyone would have had my experience, but um, I was homeschooled as well as being part of the IFB movement. So mm-hmm. all basically my whole life revolved around the church, um, mm. including my schooling. So like the program that we use for our schooling education was also written by people from the IFB movement. So every single aspect of my life was, um, it was, I lived and breathed the IFB movement pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like my experience growing up was, um, I spent a lot of time at church. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday, there was soul winning. Um, and then we'd often have like a revival week where you come every night of the week and listen to preaching. Um, and then on top of that, obviously, I was homeschooled. So my schooling curriculum every day included like memorizing Bible verses and learning about pre-tribulational eschatology and um, all those kind of things, in addition to like my regular like math and reading. So like, for example, we might be in I might be doing my English and I might be learning about adverbs, but I'm reading a story about like a IFB missionary um, mm. as I'm looking for the adverbs in these sentences. You know what I mean? So like yeah. every single avenue of my life was really like that. Um, I spent a lot of time memorizing the Bible. <laughs> Actually, I memorized entire books in the King James. <laughs> um, wow. So don't ask me to go ahead and quote it now because I'm not sure. <laughs> it's all in there somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah. But so oftentimes if I'm still quoting a verse, I'll revert back to my King James. But Um, Mm. so that is quite funny. Um, and then on top of that, my family, my personal family, we also had like a family ministry that we did, um, reaching children through like music. And, um, Mm. so I also spent a lot of time doing that. We did like puppets and songs. And so I spent a lot of time also, um, involved in 
learning how to like edit videos and record sound and film ca on camera and stuff like that. So I did a lot of that growing up as well. Um, I think that for the most part, like if I look back now, I mean, everything that I say now is like looking back through the lens of my pre my current understanding and experiences. But I, I think that growing up, I like thought that we were like part of this like super special group of people. Like we were on a secret mission. Like we had the good news that everybody in the world needed to know. And like, um, so I kind of felt like um, I'm like a very productive person by nature and a very, um, I, I always want to like do, do everything. And so um, I think that being part of the movement gave me like a sense of purpose as as in like, oh, we've got to save the world. And I'm part of the group of people that's going to save the world. <laughs> mm. um, so that was definitely my mindset. But then also I had a lot of trauma um, growing up through the movement. There was a lot of there was a lot of good. And I want to start by saying that, too, that like I don't think any situation is ever like all bad or all good. It's usually mm. like a mixture of both. And so. I have lots of really good memories from my childhood and being in church and going to Sunday school um, and all of those good, good things. Um, but I also have like a lot of trauma um, around a lot of the things that I was taught and like the things that I then internalized about um, myself. And I think I've written about this like on my blog, um, but things to do with like my body image and mm -hmm. how I grew up really hating my body and really having this idea that like my body was just um, always in the way of me having like a better spirituality. Um, and that, you know, the ultimate goal was to go to heaven and like this disembodied future state or whatever. Um, but I didn't really see any value in taking care of my body or in understanding it. And so that led to some really like serious consequences for me as like a teenager. Um, mm -hmm. I was very, um, suicidal at points and very, um, I had like a lot of things that I struggled with, with a lot, um, and things that I still struggle with to this day. Um, it, even just like talking about the, well, I mean, if you look at like current events right now, like what's going on in the world, um, at the time mm -hmm. of this recording, like with the COVID-19 and everything that's going on, um, that's just made me realize like how much eschatology or like talking about the end times um how much that shaped my thinking as a teenager and how um I would have taken those events as a teenager as opposed to now um mm. and yeah so that's been very interesting for me so yeah I think growing up IFB was kind of like it's kind of like it's weird because you grow up in this whole other world um that nobody really knows about and so like for me now I like <laughs> So, so many people talk about like, oh yeah, growing up, I watched this movie or this TV show. Um, and so like, I feel very much like I, I grew up in a, in a different world because I just don't relate to anything like any of the pop culture of my peers. Um, and yeah, so I think that kind of summarizes kind of like what it was like growing up in the movement for me, at least. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so let, I want to ask this because you got a lot of you said you got a lot of good memories, um, but then you have all this this trauma, and we might unpack some of that as we move forward. But do you have um, like is it difficult to 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 wrestle with the fact that like because you uh, you say that very kind of matter of factly, but I think there would be people that maybe would be like would have a hard time getting to a place of well, there were some good things, but there was also a lot of really bad. Like, did you have to do, did you have to do a lot of work to get there, or is that just kind of like your personality where you're like, I'm going to try to find the good in, in this situation. Um, I think by nature, I am an optimist. It's taken mm -hmm. me a while to kind of get to the place that I'm in. Um, I've done like a lot of work over the last couple of years um, with like therapy and with different interventions to kind of like um, become like more conscious and more self-aware of myself. And I, I, I guess I just am more generous in the way that I want to think about other people to understand that all of us have our own stories and our own trauma and our own things that make us who we are. Right. And so, um, life is not ever like a neat, like it's not ever like black and white. It's always like, you know, like a hundred shades of color. And I think that's what makes it beautiful. Um, and I think for me that I definitely did have good experiences growing up and I wouldn't want 
the bad things that happened and that I've been through to be the only thing that defines my life. Um, I think it's Richard Rohr who says something like, you have to transcend what's come before in your life, but you also have to include. So if you can't make space for who you were before you are now, um, you have to go back and do some work on that. So I think that's been part of like um, my life is to learn to have a healthy acceptance for who I was in the past um, with all the good and bad that was there and who I am now as well. And to understand that in like 20 years, I'm probably going to look back and say the same thing about myself right now and this recording. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, okay, good. I'll just, I just wanted to, to know, and I'm sure we'll, we'll my, you know, my goal, and we've talked about this, my goal is that, you know, someone listening to this podcast um, can hear your story and and then can see how, how you've done the healing process because they, they may be in a different place, but they're working their way through that process. So that's why I asked, you know, a little bit on the front end of like, yeah. And one thing I do want to, sorry, one thing I do want to clarify is that I don't think everyone has to have the same story as me. Um, Mm. and I think it's very important to just clarify right here and right now that for some people, the trauma that they've been through means that they really can't see any silver lining in what's come before. Um, and so if that's the place that you're in right now where you're just angry and you're hurt and you can't see good, like, don't hear me say I see good too. and feel like that's, um, that you're, you're like, we're all at different spots in our journey. And so Mm. there's space for you too. If all you can see is the hurt. Um, because I've been there and I know what it feels like. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there because I know that for a lot of people, sure. um, they really have a hard time coming coming out the other side of that. And so I just want to acknowledge that that spot, that place is an okay place to not just be, but stay if that's where you need to be for right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And for this first, for this one right here, I want you to um, imagine yourself kind of back in that moment in that, in that space. So I know you have all this wealth of knowledge now and you've, ex- you've experienced things and you've, you've thought through and you've processed, but if you can try to try to, for a minute, kind of put yourself back, um, when you were in, when you were in that church, um, what, uh, wh- how did you start to begin to realize that maybe something like wasn't right? Like what was the things in that moment that you were like, Hmm, I don't know about that. So I think this is such a great question. And I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, but I think that for me, there was like, I have a few points in my memory that I can like go back to and like, oh, yeah, I remember this conversation with this person um, that really made an impact on me. But I think overall, like the biggest thing is that like by nature, I'm like a very soft and caring person. Um, and I hate being mean. I hate it when people are mean to other people. And I think that the thing that I struggled with the most um, growing up in the IFB movement and, you know, like being on the streets, witnessing to people and um, all those kind of things was when we came across as not loving. Like it was always like there was a dissonance in my heart about that um, because I the way that I would like justify it to myself was like, well, um, this is the loving thing to do, because if they don't, you know, if they don't get saved from hell, they're going to go to hell. So this is the most loving thing I could do. But still, there was like a really big dissonance in my mind. Um, you know, like when we're standing on a street corner shouting at people as they're going out for their Saturday night. Um, mm-hmm. there w- that was definitely like a big dissonance point for me. And probably one of the biggest that um, I was always uncomfortable with the whole way through. Like I just try never to think about like hell and about the fact that most of the world was literally going there. Like almost everyone was going there, including my own family, Um, like my extended family and the people that I loved because they weren't part of this movement that I was part of. So that was definitely like a big dissonance in my heart from like as Mm. early as I can remember. Um, But specific interactions that I think really changed me. Um, When I was in Australia, I was going to university um, at a Catholic university, actually. And I had, we had to go to like these Catholic um, like philosophy and theology classes. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone in the university had to do a few of them. And the head of the department there, I went and sat, had to sit in on a few of his lectures. And that was like the really, the first time I think that like the windows in my house cracked open, so to speak, because it was the first time I'd really heard someone talk about God um, outside of my own context. Um, but someone that really seemed to care and be really interested in having these conversations yet came at it from such a different angle to me. And I remember sitting in those classes being so perplexed and so confused because he was using all of the language that I was familiar with, but he wasn't coming to like the same conclusions. And 
it wasn't instead of it being like a very closed-handed dogma it was like more open-ended like well what do you guys think about this and what mm-hmm. do you think about god and like i never really thought about this because i was just like well the bible says this like that was my only answer like and so i had many breakout discussions in that in those classes and each one of those like different instructors was very patient with me and tried to just like open me up to say well no but what do you think about this and what do you think god is like and what do you think about um you know this different philosopher and what he said about life and so it kind of started opening me up to like a new idea of what it means to be in the world and as someone who's like very intellectually curious like my curiosity was like peaked. i was like oh this is really interesting um mm-hmm. and i lost my desire to like try to convert um those people for the first time um in my life I wasn't sitting in a conversation trying to like convert the other party to what I believe. I was sitting there actually like taking in what they were saying and realizing that they had something I had some they had something that I could learn from, if that makes sense. Mm. And so, so it do, it does. I want to I want to ask so so the first time you I'm sorry to interrupt but you see you're you're sitting there and you're you're in you're in a conversation um listening and and hearing other people's thoughts and you didn't have a desire to convert them. Um, what did that, what'd that feel like internally for you? Like, just, I'm trying to get the mindset of you go from a place of, I have to convert this person because they're going to die and go to hell if I don't. But now you don't have that desire that was there. Like, uh, were you cool with that? Or was there like a war going on in, in you? No, you know, I was that process. I was not cool with it at all. Actually. Like I, it was very troubling and very confusing to me because, mm. um, it, it's became apparent to me very quickly that if I was to start to engage in these conversations and to start thinking that like start opening up to just having dialogue with other people that I, number one, I didn't have good answers for what I believe. And number two, mm-hmm. that it may very well be that I would discover something new. And that scared me more than anything else, because to have been in a place where I had invested so much of my life into this, um, to admit that there could possibly, I could possibly be wrong about something. Um, mm. That was almost more scary to me than anything else. Um, so yeah, it was very confusing. Um, I remember like going backwards and forwards all the time between like, oh, I must just be a bad Christian. I must just need to read my Bible more and I must need to pray more. And I need to go to church more and be more involved in church. And I think that's what actually led me to withdraw from the university um, and come, I actually came to the US to study at an IFB college. Um, mm. And that's what kind of led me on that journey because I was like, well, I, I need to have better answers for my faith. I know that much, but I'm not going to get them here because if I get them here, then I might not be a good IFB person anymore. So I need to go and find a place where I can get those good answers. So that's what uh, definitely part of the reason why I wanted to come out to the US to study at college. Mm. That's interesting and, and and sad too because I I feel like as a person who um, loves questions um, and loves the idea that God is is open to us asking questions and and tough questions and wrestling with with difficult things um, it's it's tough to hear a story where you were like I feel like that is a moment what you were just describing to me is a moment where a lot of people are like they're right on the cusp of like breaking out of some really you know toxic thinking and and closed off thinking. Um, and your reaction had to be because of what you came up in. Well, this is wrong. I got to get out of here. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if that, if you stayed in that moment, would it, would this have come a little bit quicker, um, for you, if you'd have stayed in that moment where you were, you know, willing to, to discuss and, and listen to the other, um, if you'd been, if you, if you'd had the space to be able to do that, um, would you maybe have been able to, see things quicker, I guess, is my, my thought, um, which is yeah. sad. <laughs> I think that for me, like at that point, I was more invested in being right than I was in um, really exploring. I was just too scared to explore because it meant it could mean losing everything. And I mean, my greatest fear did get realized. I did end up losing everything. Um, mm. But it was only when the teachings of the movement were turned against me and I experienced the hurt of living on the other side of that, that it I really, my eyes were really then open to understand why um, it was so toxic. And unfortunately, I had to live through that experience myself of mm. um, having those very teachings that I had taught and um, 
memorized and loved all my life have those very things turned against me when I did nothing wrong. Like I did nothing, I did nothing to deserve it. Um, that then made me realize, Oh wow. Like this is, this system is really, um, this, there's something really wrong with this system here. Yeah. So you, so you moved to the States, um, you're at an IFB college. Cause I, that I want to hear what you just were talking about, but we're also, we're not there yet. So you're still, you're still in, you're still, you're in IFB school. You're in the States now. Um, how do you get to the point where you leave and then they, and it turns on you? What, what happens? What, how, how'd you get there? So, I mean, this is a very long story, but to make a long story very short. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was coming out to college with like a very open and curious mind, like as much as open and curious as you can be going to an IFB college um, to just mm. learn and become part of the movement. And I honestly thought that my entire life would be there. I'd marry a preacher or someone that was going into the, mission, the ministry work. Um, and that, that would be my life. Like, that's what I honestly thought. Um, mm. And there was like a few things that happened in that year that I was at the college that kind of started just like making me ask some deep questions. Definitely my time at the Catholic university had definitely like planted, like I guess a seed um, Mm -hmm. that there was something more beyond this, but actually funnily enough. So the whole time that I was at IFB college, every Saturday um, I would go down and spend eight hours knocking doors in LA. it was, I would not recommend it. <laughs> sure. It, yeah. It, that was a, that was very hard. Um, eight hours every day on Saturdays. But one of the, one of the gifts that I got from that experience was having some conversations with people that really changed the trajectory of my thinking. Um, mm. Two, funnily enough, like random people that I met at the door had such a major impact on my life that like, I wish I could go back and tell them thank you, honestly, but you know, here we are. I don't know who they are, but there was a, uh, one time I knocked on the door of a science professor, um, for one of the universities there in LA. And he, um, took me into his garage and he had like all of these different, um, I guess he was like into archeology span and stuff. And so he had all of these different skeletons and, um, of different like mammals and creatures. And it was like, honestly, a surreal experience, but he started engaging with me and asking me some really hard questions about um, my faith. And he was an, I I believe he was an atheist and, or an Mm -hmm. agnostic, one of the two. And, Mm -hmm. but the thing that struck me about the conversation was that I had always been told that like atheists just hated God and that um, they were out to get me, you know, Mm -hmm. but that, that wasn't my experience with this man. He was very gentle and very kind and he didn't, attack me for my faith or my beliefs. He just kind of asked me some questions and was like, well, what about this? And what about this? And um, that conversation changed me a lot because it made me realize that like the people that I thought were like the enemy and needed converting were actually very well thought out, reasonable people that just mm-hmm. came to different conclusions than I had. Um, so that was a very, um, that conversation changed me a lot. Um, and I remember him telling me when I left his door that day, he's like, one day you're going to get it. One day you're going to see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, I remember laughing at him and he was like, no, like you, you were thinking about this and one day you're going to see it. So what, what was I, it you were going to see? Just the fact that the movement that I was part of was stopping me from exploring and understanding more about the world that I wanted to. Like, mm-hmm. I think he saw in me like that curiosity to know more and, um, to see more. And he just was like, you, you need to, you need to embrace that instead of trying to run from it. Mm. Um, so that conversation was very, um, very interesting and very transformative for me. And then I had another conversation just a few weeks later, um, with a, a woman and we sat down in her garden for probably like three or four hours. Um, mm. and she just basically sat with me and she was like, honestly, just like a mother. And she just showed such care and grace. And um, she was some kind of Christian, but obviously I would not have considered her that at the time. And she was just trying so patiently to open me up to the idea of a loving God um, at work in the world and that I didn't have to. um, She was so concerned about me being out on the streets and being part of this and not having a life of my own um, and Mm -hmm. not. Um, she was able to identify some things now that like I can look back and see too, but at the time I just couldn't see, you know, being part of the movement. Um, 
And just, I don't even think it was so much her words as it was her care. Um, mm. Again, it was an experience where it was an encounter where I met someone that was supposed to be like a bad person, but they weren't. They were caring and loving and opening me up to the possibility of a new way of being in the world. So those two experiences were definitely transformative. And then um, when I was at college, I actually met a boy who, well, that man is now my husband. Um, but he was at the same college as me, but he had not come from like a specifically IFB background, more just like a conservative um, conservative evangelical background. I don't know how he got, he ended up at this college, but he ended up there. <laughs> and um, so we started talking and because we were interested in each other. And very early on, I found out that he was not King James only. And that was a big, that's a, that's a big deal in the independent Baptist world. Like you have to be King James only. And at the time I was very adamant in my King James only position. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, (laughs) we, my, my now husband and I, we started having a conversation about the King James Bible and my husband started sending me some articles and some different things to read. And, we had some big fights about it because I I was determined that I could convert him to King James onlyism because if only he could see what I could see, he would know that like the King James Bible is the only Bible, right? Surely. So we started having these conversations. And again, he was very generous and gracious with, with me. And um, I, I didn't want him to know that like I was underneath I was like I had a lot of questions and I wasn't sure but I just kind of put up this really strong front um and I started to look into the history of the bible and the transmission of the bible and um different different things to do with like the historicity of the bible and you mm-hmm. know why it is that we can trust the bible and you know is the king james bible the perfect bible in the english language like can it really correct the greek and um <laughs> So all of those questions were in my mind. And those are the questions that I started asking. But for the first time, rather than going to like my trusted independent Baptist sources, I started reading and listening to other voices, people that were experts in the field, like critical text scholars and people that actually knew what they were talking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's when it all started to unravel for me, because the more that I studied about the Bible, I realized that the things that I had been taught and the things that the movement was holding up about the King James were not true um, and that I was being lied to. Um, And that was very devastating for me. It was um, very disorientating, very upsetting. Um, I remember sitting with some of my college friends saying, like, I can't believe this. Like, I think we're being lied to. Like, I don't think this is actually real. And, um, I, I just remember like getting blank looks from them. Like they, they didn't want to have that conversation. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that was a, it, I, it launched me into a very disorientating time, but also um, it was really good for me, I think, because it led me to ask more questions. And eventually that ended up being like a big part of the catalyst of me leaving was um, the mm. King James only thing. So the fact that, you know, you're being taught this is the only way this is the only bible to read because it's 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 the one that's right uh, and all the rest of them are teaching something wrong right is that is that is because just to clarify because is, is that the general consensus of the king james only argument that um all the other versions of scripture are is there something heretical heretical about them or is it that they're uh, inaccurate translations or what's the what's the actual crux of the problem um the crux of the problem is mostly that they King James Olinus believed that modern translations have been corrupted purposely mm. and intentfully by the devil working through translating the translators or whatever. Um, mm. And that the King James Bible, that basically, so a lot of King James Olinus believe in like a double inspiration, which means mm. that they believe that God inspired the 1611 like he did the original manuscripts. Gotcha. So um, it is inerrant in its form. So there are no mistakes in it. Um, and it's actually able, it's actually capable of going back and like correcting the original manuscripts because God has re-inspired it at that point. Oh, um, that's an, that's an interesting thought. I've never, so, 
So you're telling me then that in the in what at least what you grew up in. So if you were to if you were to pull like because there's a lot of people nowadays the 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 buzz thing is like go back to the original Hebrew go back to the original Greek. So but you're, what I'm hearing from you is if you were to do that and then he, the Hebrew or Greek said something maybe a little different than what the KJV was saying, then the original text is the thing that is wrong now, right? Is that we accurate? we just have we have to trust that God worked in the translators of the English to give us the words that we need, so we don't need to go back to the Greek or the Hebrew. Okay, so uh, a nicer version of what I just said. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Uh, but yeah, but in practice, that's what it does mean. It does mean that because um, you're right, they wouldn't say, "Well, that means that the original text is wrong because it can't be because it was God inspired." Um, but that this new text, God did did something here, inspiring. Um, you know, whatever whatever we're understanding from the KJV, this is the right thing because this God did this in the same way that he did the original text. But in practice, what that means is the thing back there, if, it, if there's a discrepancy, the thing back there is wrong. I understand why they wouldn't go down that road. Um, okay, I just wanted to clarify to make sure I understood what the problem was with the KJV. So so you're, you're, you're starting to feel like, okay, this is, is that really, is that, is, that, is that what did it for you? This idea of like the, just the scripture? Or is, I mean, is there something else or is that, what, what, what caused you to be like, okay, I can't do this anymore? Well, that brought the house of cards like, tumbling down because I'd been having questions and the fact I think it was more the fact of just like finding out more about the Bible as it was the dawning realization that I was being lied to and if I'm being mm. lied to what else is what else am I not being told the truth about like sure if if I can't trust you when you're telling me one thing can I trust you on anything else and so that became kind of like the biggest thing for me um and then in the midst of all of that I was also I was dating my husband, my now husband, um, and a lot of people had strong feelings and opinions about that because he was not independent Baptist. Um, mm -hmm. So that led to a lot of um, grief and issue. And then um, my the church that I had been attending in Australia had some major issues go on all at the all at the same kind of time. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a big shuffle up and a lot of people left and it was a very difficult situation. And um, I was kind of like in the middle of all of that. So I came home from college for the summer and I was back in Australia and I, I made the decision to just kind of go and check out some other churches. Um, and I think that's where it really started to then unfold a lot more for me. Um, and like I, I became more committed to my relationship with um, my husband and with my now husband. And as that happened, um, things became very hostile. And um, the movement, the movement made clear that there was no place for asking questions or um, being different or, you know, all of the classic things that happen when there's a clash of um, a clash of values, I guess, in a sense. Um, mm. a lot of, um, there was a lot of unfortunate circumstances that happened and a lot of, um, I was called into a lot of meetings, um, that were done like in secret, um, that no one was, I wasn't allowed to bring like a support person to, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of things were said in those meetings that were very hurtful and untrue. Um, there was a lot of lies that were passed around the movement, um, about me. Um, and the things that I was doing and the things that I was saying. Um, and so very quickly it went from me kind of being like a poster child who went, um, <laughs> went to the U S to study at Bible college to like being like a very rebellious person that, um, was kind of being shunned by the movement. So that happened in a period of a very, a, a quick few months. But why do, why do they care though? I mean, you're one person, you're one person who decided that the King James only is not, not not the only Bible and, and you're mad about being lied to, but like, who are you that you're getting called into meetings and they're, you know, launching campaigns against you? I mean, why do they care? I think that one of the main reasons why they care is because like in the independent Baptist world, at least from my perspective, like all of their doctrines are like on the same level. So um, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about the virgin birth, the King James Bible, or women in skirts. Like all of those things 
they see on the same platform. It's on the same level. So it would kind of be like going into a, to a traditional church and being like, yeah, I don't think that, um, I don't know, like I don't hold to the Nicene Creed, for example. I don't know. Sure. Um, so in the in that church environment, like um, there's so much weighed on each and every single doctrine and every single doctrine is like a purity test. Like if you don't hold this doctrine, then you're not one of us. Um mm-hmm. And so when, as soon as you fail one of the purity tests, it's like you've become the biggest heretic that ever lived on the face of the earth. And you're mm-hmm. blasphemous. You're a God hater. You're worse than the atheists because at least the atheists are not trying to say that there's a God. Um, mm. So it kind of, there's like no in-between ground. It's just like one extreme and then the other. Mm-hmm. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I guess like, I'm still like... I feel like in my like so in my in my church world, if someone was to roll in, I'm Methodist. I'm in a Methodist church right now, so if somebody was to roll in and be like, "I don't believe in the Apostles' Creed," we'd be like, "Okay, like then then do, like don't like like maybe we're not." I don't even know if we'd be like, "Maybe we're not for you." Like, I don't know what would happen if that if I were to go down, but I don't think it would be we're gonna launch like we're going to go after you. And so that's what I'm, that's, I guess that's where I'm trying to figure out, like, how do you go? Because if, to me, it feels like, and I'm not, I wasn't living in it and I'm sure there, you know, it's, it's a big story, but like, it feels like zero to a hundred real quick for me. Yeah. And it, it kind of does. I think that that's like one of the hallmarks of like a more fundamentalist kind of institution um, mm-hmm. where everything does become like a purity test. And if you fail it, you're kind of out and it kind of goes from zero to a hundred really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that definitely a big part of it was the fact that I'm a woman um, mm. and that women are not supposed to question authority structures because in like a more patriarchal um, setup, you have like the heads of the church and then you have the head of your family. So like I'm under the authority of my father and the pastor and then I'm under the, then that authority transfers from my father to my husband when I get married. So every single point of the journey, I'm under the authority of someone else. And so I'm not free to have my own view and to make my own choice in who I choose to marry, what doctrine I choose to hold to. So it's more than just like the doctrine itself. It's the fact that I upset the whole apple cart, so to speak. I stepped out of my place, um, the place where I was supposed to be and supposed to stay. I, I was no longer happy to stay in that place because I had questions. And when I had questions, that brings the whole system tumbling down. And when you bring the whole system tumbling down, then it becomes a power grab. And so it wasn't just about the doctrine itself, but it became like a power grab for you need to submit to our authority and you're not submitting to our authority. And this, this is a, it, instead of it becoming a doctrinal issue, it became a submission issue. Does that make sure. sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does. So it then does. that's why it became a big issue because it was like, well, you refuse to submit to the authorities in your life. Therefore, you refuse to submit to God. And I think that's the most dangerous part about um, the movement is the way that it conflates everything that it holds with God. So like for me to step out from that movement, I almost felt like I had to um, leave my faith in a sense because I was so tied that like, well, God expects this of me, but I can't Mm -hmm. do this. And um, it's taken me so long to unpack that to realize, no, God does not expect that of me. God created me as my own person with my own um, consciousness and my own understanding. And I'm free to pursue the giftings that God has for me. And I don't have to sit under this authority structure. But because it was so intertwined with how I viewed God, it was very hard for me to untangle that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so let, let's do this then. So, so you get, you leave, um, I'm assuming in the throes of all of this stuff going on, um, you kind of already expressed that, you know, even beyond that, there were still attacks and, and things that came after you. And, um, you said, you just said, I felt like I had to, I had to walk away from, from my faith. Obviously you, you haven't fully because you I mean, you express yourself as a Christian, you, you have these conversations about God today. So, um, how did you, how did you heal through that to get to the point that you're at right now? Um, it was definitely a long journey. Um, and there has been a lot of people that have helped on the way. I think that the biggest things for me personally, that made a big difference was having space to process what I had been through. Um, and not mm-hmm. forcing myself to 
um, take the journey too quickly. Um, I think that for me, um, when I first came out, I just knew that um, I, I'm like a person that's obsessed with knowing information. So like, I want an answer to everything. So when I first came out and all those cards came tumbling down, I just kind of became like a big research geek. <laughs> and so sure. all the all the things that I had been taught, I just started to unpack them one by one by one. Um, and I was like, oh, well, I actually don't believe that. And oh, these people over here, they don't believe that either. Oh, okay. Well, why don't they? And it was more than just like, oh, can I find a camp that like fits what I want to do? It was not like that at all. Um, it was more like I want to find a way to keep my faith meaningful. But the way that my faith is right now is drowning me. And I can't, I can't survive it like this anymore. Like, if this is how God is, then I don't even know if I want in with that God. Like, mm. it's just, I'm so suffocated. And if this is life, then I don't want to live it. Um, I remember um, very distinctly, like a moment where it all came to a head and I was sleeping in a, in a stranger's house that I had met for the first time that night when I went to sleep there. Um, I was all alone in their basement on a little blow up mattress. And I remember I really just came to the end of myself and was, I was so broken. I just remember crying for hours and hours and hours until I had no tears left to sob and feeling so alone in that moment and realizing that, um, I couldn't keep going like this anymore, that there had to be a different kind of life that God wanted. Um, mm. Like that if this is what it, it was, then I didn't want it. And cause I had tried to do everything and follow the rules and do everything right, but it still blew up in my face. And mm. it was at that moment that I realized that I, I needed to be free and I needed to get out. And it didn't matter what came after that. I would try to find a way to keep my faith meaningful, but I couldn't stay in that place anymore. Mm. And I think that that became like a catalyst for me just to kind of search and see, well, like, who is God? And, you know, these things that I've been handed, are they true? And, you know, um, it led me on a big journey. I've spent a lot of time reading books and listening to podcasts. And um, there's so many amazing free resources on the Internet. Um and just kind of working through the different things that I was raised in. Like, I think a lot of the times, like where we live a certain way and we never really think about why we do the things that we do or why we think the things that we think, we've never kind of put our beliefs and practices under analysis, so to speak. And I guess when I got out, because the world around me was so unfamiliar to me, like everyone was talking about stuff that I, I'm like, who are you talking about and what is happening? <laughs> I was so disengaged from the real world um, that I was just able to kind of like, it gave me like a stark comparison between like what I saw other people with and what I currently had. And it kind of just made me curious. And I think it was my curiosity more than anything else that just kind of led me to a place where now I, I realize that I can have my faith and I do identify as a Christian and I can mm -hmm. um, follow Jesus in a way that is life-giving and be part of this eternal um, divine love that God has like etched into the fabric of the universe. Um, and that it, my faith has actually become like a source of life and healing for me. Um, mm. And I'm very glad that like, that's been my journey. Um, I don't know that, I don't think anyone's journey is going to look quite the same as mine because no one's come from the same background. I have like a lot of, um, different issues with abuse and um, hurt and trauma. And when that trauma is inflicted by the church, um, it just makes it even harder because it almost feels like it's God that inflicted. Yeah. And so for me, I think one of the most redemptive things has been realizing that God does, is not the inflictor of pain, but God suffers with us through our pain. Um, and God is working together with us in partnership to bring about goodness and wholeness in and beauty in the world. Um, and so totally like redefining um, the work of God in the world and in my life personally um, has been very redemptive and very freeing for me. Yeah, that's good. Um, you, you hear there's a, there's a buzzword you hear a lot um, in yeah, the Twitter world that you and I are, are, are a part of <laughs> um, the, the subsection of Twitter that we, we kind of spend, our, spend a lot of time on it. You hear the word deconstruction a lot. 
Um, and I, and I, and I think that's necessary. I think I don't, I don't have a problem with deconstruction at all. I think, um, the idea that, you know, you, a lot of us are handed a faith. And then as we grow, we kind of, I think all of us to some extent are deconstructing, um, my hope, my heart, like the thing that breaks my heart is when people deconstruct and they can never get to the point of reconstructing. Um, and so it just, it makes me happy to hear, um, you know, even going through what you went through, that there was a way to put those pieces back together. Um, because ultimately I think, you know, you've said a lot of things, um, in today as we've been talking, um, specifically about love. Um, and I, and I, I've, I've heard that, um, as you've kind of gone through this, that you, you, one of the first things you said that was like, oh, this was kind of weird to me is that like, we are not loving, like we, we, we're not loving yes. to people. Um, and then to kind of feel like, I know at least from listening to some of the clips that I've heard and even conversations I have with you, um, the idea of like God being loving doesn't sound very super prevalent in the, in the culture that you grew up in, um, the church culture you grew up in. And so what's, and then you, you inter- you encounter these people, right. And, and your, your main thing about these people that you communicated to me just now was that there was this, this loving and acceptance and grace that you had not really experienced before, um, and you experienced it outside of the walls of the church. And that's the thing. I mean, that's the, you said something earlier about like the windows in your house opening up. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's how it happened for you. And, and, and so with that, um, you can take, you can take those things and reconstruct and find your way back to, um, or not back to, but find a new, a new normal, a new understanding of God. But there, there's so many people, um, that haven't gotten there yet. And if you're not, there yet. Don't hear what I just said. Not, not you, Katie, you are, but if you're listening <laughs> and you, you are not there yet, don't take what I just said to be like, well, you're wrong. Cause you haven't reconstructed some that takes longer for some people. Um, some people may never get there. I'm not saying that you like, you're the worst. If you don't, I just, my hope and my heart, um, is that God is so much bigger than these constructs that we have. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And he, and he, and what you said, he's not the, the doer of the bad thing. Um, you said it better than what I just did, but that's the point. Um, and so those are, those are human constructs. Those are human people doing messed up human things and they are not God. Um, and at the end of the day, it is what God is doing uh, and what God is saying about who you are and what you are and how you are that matters more. And And so I just hope that people can find their way back to, that that loving God who is not the the uh, committer of those crumbs. That's another terrible. Way. I'm going to stop trying to say what you said yeah. in different words because I'm terrible at it. Um, let's do this because um, I know this is near and dear to your heart because you lived this, and um, I want to thank you for being as, as candid as you have. I know um, there's a lot of people who are going to hurt a lot of hear a lot of things that you said and be like, "Ooh, I wish I had more details." Um, but <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing, like. Um, we, we, we want people, you and I want people to be able to hear, um, your story and be able to do something useful with it. So it's not necessarily about spilling tea here. It's about, um, how do, how do you help someone that's stuck in a situation? So what would you, what would you, Katie, say to someone who, uh, and and who is stuck in a situation, whether it be that particular denomination, so to speak, or whether it be any sort of thing, right? What would you say, Mm -hmm. what would you want to say to a person that is whether they know it or not, it's trapped in a, in a church like structure like that? Well, I think that there's, I mean, there's so much <laughs> that I want to say. Um, and I want to put it out there that for anyone who wants to talk more with me, um, not to spill tea, I'm not interested in that, but if you want help or need help, um, and, or you just want someone to talk to, um, I am open. Um, you can reach me on Instagram or Twitter or any of the places I have a, a blog where I write and you can contact me there. Um, you can be anonymous too, if you want, and I will interact with you as long as you're not being mean. <laughs> um, if you're being mean, I'm not going to answer. Um, <laughs> but you're more than welcome to connect with me there. Um, but these are, I guess, some of the things that I, I would want you to know is number one, you can, you can leave, like, you don't have to stay. Um, If you're being hurt, if you're being abused, if you have questions, if you have doubts, um, you don't have to stay, you don't have to be afraid. Um, You will find God outside of the box that you've been given. Um, 
and if that's what you want. But don't be afraid to um, explore and be curious about um, what lies beyond. Um, you are worth and you have so much value. Um, there's so much good and beauty in the world and you don't need to stay in a place that is being hurtful to you. Um, be, be careful with like authority, authority structures. Um, it's not to say that all authority is bad. I think there, there is a place for good authority within reason. Um, but oftentimes the way authority structures are set up, they're set up to protect the interests of the powerful, not the vulnerable. So, um, just pay attention and have a look at your churches and see who has the power and what do they do with the power? And if you speak up against the power, what happens? Um, those are really good questions to kind of just observe and think about. Um, the other thing to pay attention to, and I think this goes for like people well beyond um, like an IFB context, but um, there's a lot of like an us versus them narrative where it's like, you know, oh, we're a group of people and it's us against the world. Um, and just just watch for that, because like um, it really does lead to isolation. And we're better when we're together, when we can share our ideas and our thoughts and our beliefs with one another. It doesn't mean that all thoughts and beliefs and ideas are necessarily equal, but they all have value. And we have things we can learn being in interaction with people who are not like us, um, especially um, when you're not trying to convert them. I think that for me, one of the things that I've learned is that um, if you're always entering the conversation with the idea to convert someone to your own position, um, you're not taking a position of learning and you're going to um, struggle to um, connect with people in meaningful ways. So rather than just seeking out interactions with people to convert them, um, listen in and see what you can learn like what what do they have that they can teach you because mm. um if god created all of us then we're going to see god, god we're going to see god everywhere in the world not just in the church and not just um in your particular denomination we're going to find god everywhere so be curious like there's nothing to be afraid of um the thing i would specifically say to people that are maybe in like a fundamental independent fundamentalist context Mm -hmm. is um just pay attention to like the logic jumps that your preacher um is doing from the pulpit um a lot of the things that you're being taught and maybe like maybe there's a little bit more to the story like if your preacher is jumping from like a passage of scripture to then talk about like why the 1611 king james is inspired like um there's there's kind of like a lot of logic jumps in between there um and just you know pay attention to that and see if you what you can learn from that because um the there's a lot of wisdom in the bible and in the church tradition um and maybe you're not being given access to all of it um and so again i just want to encourage you to be curious and like you don't even need to leave your church to start to ask questions and to just you know be curious and and see what's on the other side um mm -hmm. And then the last thing that I want to talk a little bit about, I guess, is like some of the theology that we, like people in the independent fundamental Baptist world have been given is extremely traumatizing. Um, and the way that it is preached and the way that it is lived out um, is not loving or kind. It's not, um, it's not designed to help you grow into a life that is meaningful and beautiful and vibrant and full. And so if the life that you're living is making you feel like you're broken into pieces rather than leading you into peace, you, mm. you might, you might want to take a moment to stop and consider why that is. Um, and it's none of this is a, an attack on anybody. Um, I, I love all the people that I, have known throughout my whole life in the past, all the people that I've been to church with. Um, I just, I want, I really want you to know that God is bigger, that God is better, that every time a, a box is drawn um, to try to keep God in, God's actually on the outside of that box. And God, you can meet God outside the box. It's okay. Um, you don't need to be afraid. Um, for people who are like, for young people, I just want to encourage you that like, you don't have to give up your faith. Um, if you want to keep your faith and have a meaningful, um, meaningful, like, 
relationship with God and Jesus, you can keep that and leave. I just, I really want you to know that the, the, the choice that you've been given that you have to follow God and stay here, or you have to hate God and leave is a false dichotomy. It's not the truth. Mm. And if you want to leave, you can leave. I just, I really want you to know that. And I especially just want to say a word to the women who are in these churches and institutions. Um, Many of you are staying in abusive relationships because you think you have to. And I want you to know that you don't. There is help. You can get help. You don't have to stay and continue to be hurt. If someone is hurting you or abusing you, or if you have been assaulted, there is help. You don't have to do this on your own. Please reach out. There's so much more. There's so much life. You have so many gifts and contributions to make to this world. If you want to stay home and be a wife and be a mom, then absolutely kudos to you for that. No judgment for me here. But if you want more than that, that's okay too. And you can be the full, like God has has so much for each one of God's children. And I just want you to know that that, that fullness of life is available to every single one of us. Um, and then finally, I just, I, I want to say this with all the, all the love that I can in my heart. Um, and, but to those of you who were my leaders and who are continuing to be leaders, who are movers and shakers in this movement, um, I don't really have a lot of words of comfort for you. Um, <laughs> All I can tell, all I can say to you is I appeal to you that you change your ways, that you think about the, the fallout of the deceit and the lies and the ways that you oppress people, that you silence those who disagree, and the ways that you break apart families and people who should be together. When you keep drawing these boxes, like I already said, you left, you leave God on the outside and you're that is not the way of Jesus. It is not the way of love. Um, I want to invite you to know that you too can be free, but you also need to take accountability for the hurt that you have caused for so many people. Um, and this is people like me who are talking out and speaking up um, don't deserve to be slandered from your pulpits. We are real people with real feelings. Um, we love you. And we just want the best for you, but we also want you to stop hurting people. So mm. <laughs> I just want you to know that I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be silent. <laughs> I'm here. I love you as much as I always have. But you also need to know that there are real ramifications, real-time ramifications for people in this world when you continue to live in a way that is not conducive to the love that God has for every single one of his children. Mm. So. That's all that I wanted to say to, um, yeah, to people that are thinking about leaving and anyone that might be watching this who, or listening to this, should I say, that um, has big questions. Yeah, that's so good. Um, and I could tell, you know, there's, there's real emotion there. And um, just so as we, as we, you know, kind of wrap this thing up, you and I had a conversation before we hit record um, and the, the basic thing that we said is like, look, people that are in these institutions, people that are in these places, some of them are stuck, some of them are a little less stuck, but they're all still real people too. And so I can, I know there's a love in your heart for, for, for people, um, regardless of whether they're a part of, a part of this or not. Um, and so I, I know that's coming from, at least from our conversation, a place, a place of love and, and it's, and it's genuine. So, um, you know, I think the, the thing that I would like to say, uh, and then I'll, I'll close this up here is that you said something a minute ago about you don't even have to leave your church to start um, figuring this out. And um, that really, something that really spoke to me in that moment was um, you know, I'm a huge, like I, I, I love scripture. I think I, I pull so I've, I've learned so much just from reading scripture, not being preached scripture, but reading scripture, learning, studying and interacting with and chewing on and, and thinking through. Um, and I think, maybe what you were getting at there is if you really do open up scripture on your own and you read it and you, and you take it for what it's saying, a lot of times you're going to notice that scripture maybe even is telling you something different than what you're hearing 
um, from the pulpit. Um, yeah. Because I actually do believe uh, that Scripture is the divine Word of God, um, but the words coming out of that dude's mouth in a pulpit, even if, even my words, you know, I, I preach for a living, right? Um, mm-hmm. Those are not, in fact, the words of God. Um, mm-hmm. And so my my hope is that people, whether they're in a, a church like this or whether they're just in church in general, the rule that I always have for people is take everything that I say when I preach, everything that I say and and hold it up to scripture. And if they don't match scripture's right, I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I hope that people can do because you don't have to leave to do that. Um, right. and if, and, and here's the thing, if you read in scripture and scripture says, you know, ABC, and then you take it to your pastor and you say, Hey, scripture says ABC, but you were saying DEF, um, and they're not cool with it, then they're probably not cool with scripture. And that, that would be a, a really big warning sign to me. Um, and so I think that's, that's one way that I think practically you can do that even where you are, um, is challenge everything that you're hearing from a pulpit with, with the actual words of God. And if they do not line up, God's right. I promise. Um, cool. Well, Katie, thank you so much for coming and hanging out and talking. And I know, um, it's tough, uh, coming out of a situation like that. And I could even hear that in your voice, but I'm glad that you would come and share. Um, I think this is going to really help some people, um, that have been through that situation. So thanks. Thanks so much for having me on Josh. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. All right, guys, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye. guys for listening hopefully you enjoyed this episode if you did please be sure to leave us a rating and a review that helps us climb up those ranks if you want to contact us with your story of church hurts you can reach out to us at whenchurchhurtsus at gmail.com or if you're on the anchor app you can actually go and leave a voice memo and we will be able to listen to that on the show and talk about it on the show so if that's something you would like to do to retain your anonymity You can totally do that. We want this to be as safe a place uh, for everyone to be able to share their stories and, uh, and be able to heal from it. So thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time.